Welcome back to Second Look. In this episode, Lauren Maddox, the Director of Shepherding Resources for 2PC, gives counseling about re-engaging in many areas of life after the pandemic. This is the final installment of a three-part series hosted at Second during the summer of 2021. This morning, I have the not-so-small task of addressing the topic of wise re-engagement, talking about our life post in our post-pandemic world. But before we dive in, let's go ahead and open in prayer and ask the Lord for his wisdom. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be together today as brothers and sisters. We seek your wisdom that we might wisely re-engage in this post-pandemic world. We marvel at the breadth and depth of your love for us in providing for us your written word, a guide for us, even in these times that seem so unfamiliar and so unprecedented to us. We trust in your faithfulness and we humbly ask for your strength in discerning how we might ought to respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there are two dangers that we face when we're talking about re-engagement in this post-pandemic world. The first is engaging or re-engaging unwisely. And the second is not re-engaging at all. Before we jump into talking about how to avoid that first danger of unwise re-engagement, I wanna address the danger that we face in not re-engaging at all in some critical areas of our lives. There are conversations in just about every arena about engagement and re-engagement right now. It's likely been the topic of your own conversations in some way or another. Restaurants are concerned that people have grown so accustomed to takeout and delivery that people are not going to re-engage in in-person dining in the way they did pre-pandemic. Schools are concerned on how to re-engage students in a classroom after nearly three semesters of attending school online. And HR departments all over the country are working to develop strategies on how to re-engage their workforces and be, bring people back into the workplace after more than a year of working remotely. Churches are trying to re-engage members to bring them back into in-person worship instead of defaulting to worshiping online or not worshiping at all. The danger is not only that people will not re-engage wisely, but that they're not going to re-engage in some, some critical areas at all. And what we're missing when we don't re-engage in these areas is the opportunity for connection. That's the danger, that's the consequence of not re-engaging. And we've certainly learned that in our pre-COVID lives, we were too busy and too frantic. We wanna avoid returning to those same disconnected and crazy patterns, but we also wanna recognize the danger of going in the opposite direction of disengagement. God designed us for embodied relational connection. We see that throughout scripture starting in Genesis 2. We see that in the very way that Jesus embodied flesh to come down and connect with human beings in a deeply personal and relational way. I mean, he came to dwell among us and in our very presence. But over this past year and a half, many of these earthly connections were severed. Initially, they were severed out of safety. Now, however, many are staying in these same disconnected patterns out of convenience or because the idea of reconnection just feels too difficult. So take the restaurant industry, for example. When everything shut down in March 2020, 
That included our ability to dine inside a restaurant. Restaurants quickly pivoted to dine in and carry out and even curbside. But even now, with restaurants open back up to full capacity, we can still easily order a meal online and not have to interact with another person for more than a few seconds as they hand our meal through our car window. Even those food delivery apps move to a leave it door option. So you don't have to interact with another single human being when ordering and having a meal delivered to your door. Compare that to the dozen or so interactions with restaurant employees and patrons that you would have if you dined inside a restaurant, even if you were dining alone. And there's no real substitution for in-person connection. When things shut down, we were forced to find substitutes for connection, like live stream and social media, Zoom and FaceTime. And these were all critical in keeping us in communication with one another in the ways that we weren't able to at the time. However, we quickly found out that although they were helpful then, they didn't quite satisfy us like in-person connection. We also found out that doing things virtually was pretty convenient. We found out that church online doesn't require you to get dressed and you can eat your breakfast while you watch. Zoom meetings don't require you to get dressed either, actually, but um, they also don't require you to drive across town. And you can actually fit more in your day when you don't have to commute. However, a question we should be asking ourselves when deciding to re-engage or not re-engage is, am I trading that embodied connection for convenience or efficiency? This is a question I often ask myself when I'm waiting how to engage or re-engage in something. If you know me, you know that I am one that loves efficiency. Truth be told, I can get pretty excited about figuring out the most efficient way to conduct my day. So virtual options work well for me when that efficiency is my primary goal. However, engaging in connected and meaningful relationships with others is is rarely linear, it's not efficient, and it's not always convenient. So asking myself that question helps me determine where my priorities are and if I need to shift my mindset, not only what I'm engaging in, but how I'm engaging in it. Because engagement is a proactive mindset. It takes intention and it takes effort. Re-engagement is even more difficult when the loss of engagement is as a a result of something traumatic like we've been through this past year and a half. And as Brent mentioned the past couple of weeks, we are weary. Things that used to pre-pandemic seem easy or maybe even only slightly difficult can now feel pretty overwhelming to us. Anxiety and depression, significant barriers to engagement, are on the rise as a result of this weariness. It often seems counterintuitive to people who are struggling with depression and anxiety when I suggest they move towards connection and towards engagement when their brains are telling them to avoid and isolate and withdraw. However, the antidote to that weariness that we're all experiencing is that connection. Reconnecting and re-engaging in rhythms and routines that are life-giving and promote our connections with one another, that's where the wise and wise re-engagement comes in. And just as much as we want to be on the guard against the danger we face about not re-engaging at all and neglecting our need for that embodied relational connection, we also want to be equally as vigilant about the dangers we face and not re-engaging wisely. And when we talk about the need to re-engage in something or with someone, 
it means that we've been separated from that thing or that relationship for a period of time. You can't talk about coming back to something that you've never left. It's important also to consider the circumstances behind the separation from whatever we were engaged. In our case, with the pandemic, it was not of our choosing and it was absolutely quite sudden. Think about it. It seems as though our world last March changed at a moment's notice and in many ways that were really difficult and painful for us. Things in ways that we were engaged with our loved ones, our jobs, our schools, and even our worship changed almost instantly. In addition, the separation from our life before has been prolonged past any time frame we could ever have imagined. And this separation is what's been traumatic for us, both corporately and individually. And when we've been through something traumatic, we often mark our experiences as life before and life after that traumatic experience. We also notice that we develop new habits or new ways of coping in the during that might have been helpful to us at the time, but need to be revisited and adapted for our life of after. When we find ourselves marking by life before and life after, we notice that we develop those new rhythms and patterns. And again, we have to adapt to those new rhythms and patterns for the life of after, because we're gonna find that some of those patterns might serve us well in the life of after, but many will not. And because of this, it means that our re-engagement cannot look like the engagement of before. And once we've accepted that and come to terms with the idea that we just can't recreate our old reality, we can start to not just focus on the grief of what we've lost in the labs before, but also look forward to the opportunities we have to engage or re-engage differently in our lives of after. As we consider how we are gonna engage in this world in this life of after the pandemic, it's also important to consider what it means to be wise in our re-engagement. Now our world has many definitions of what it means to be wise. But as Christians, we have a clear guide through scripture as to the origin of wisdom. For example, we see in James 3.17 that wisdom comes from God or above and not from man. In Psalm 111.10, we see that we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we believe, and we do as Christians, that the Bible provides for us a guide on how we ought to conduct ourselves, that it is the source of wisdom, even in this time that seems so unprecedented to us, then it would be wise to see what God's word says about how we are to re-engage in such times. So go ahead, if you've got your Bibles or some in the pews as well, we're gonna um, turn with me to Joshua 24, and we're gonna focus on verses 14 through 28. As you're turning there, um, before we get to those verses, I wanna give you guys some context for where God's people are at this moment in history. So first, let's, let's zoom out. I've been so grateful that in God's infinite wisdom, the book of the Bible that we had been studying here in Sunday morning worship prior to and at the beginning of our time of isolation and COVID was Exodus. So think about it. In God's providence, it was April 2020, when everything got to be really real for us, that we came to the passage in Exodus, Exodus 16, where the people of Israel had been delivered from the tyranny of Pharaoh in Egypt, and now were faced with the startling reality of their new normal in the wilderness. Although deliverance from Egypt had been what they had been crying out for generations, the reality of 
actually living outside of that life that they had been used to, it was destabilizing. It was abrupt. And they didn't have a framework or a context for how to live in that new way. The uncertainty of what might come next was overwhelming. Does that sound familiar? When we look at Exodus and the books of the Bible that immediately follow it, we see how God faithfully cares and guides his people, even when they're grappling with how to operate in this new normal. He extends grace and mercy, even when they respond to this seemingly uncertain time with fear and anxiety instead of trust and faithfulness. And just as God's word teaches us how to navigate in times of wilderness and new realities, it also teaches us how to come out of times of wilderness and uncertainty. It teaches us how to re-engage in a society that we're called to, but feels pretty unfamiliar to us right now. A society that's grappling for our attention and fraught with potential danger in how we re-engage in it. And this was certainly the situation for the people of Israel in Joshua 24, as they prepared to enter the long-anticipated promised land. They had hoped and dreamed for this new world, and they had, not always patiently, eagerly anticipated what it might mean to be out of this wilderness and engage in this new world. So let's read Joshua 24. Again, we're going to be in verses 14 through 28 to hear God's guidance about what rise re-engagement looked like for the Israelites and what he, through this passage, can teach us about what, how we might wisely re-engage today. So starting in verse 14, now therefore, the Lord, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if, if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do, do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. 
These verses find the people of Israel at a critical point, a crossroads in their history, where they're about to enter into the promised land. And as we take some time to examine them this morning, we're going to see how these verses provide us some guiding principles and how we're to re-engage in our own pivotal moment in history, our post-pandemic world. So the guiding principles that we're going to focus on this morning are, first, to re-engage wisely, we must prioritize the right worship of God. And then second, to re-engage wisely, we must commit not only to God, but also to one another. Third, to re-engage wisely, we must remember the truth of his saving work. And fourth, to re-engage wisely, we must continue to rely on his provision and strength and not our own. So first, to re-engage wisely, we must prioritize the right worship of God. We see in verses 14 and 15 that re-engagement, it means making a choice. Joshua puts two options before the Israelites. He, can emphasize, he emphasizes that they can either serve the pagan gods or they can serve the Lord who has delivered them and been faithful to them over and over again, despite their being unfaithful and even at times outright rebellious. It seems an obvious choice when you read in verses 1 through 13 about how God reminds them of all the amazing things that he's done to provide for them and get them to that point. However, much like the Israelites, God knows that we're a people prone to wonder. We know that we aren't always focused on the one true God and his faithfulness and instead invest our time and energy and focus on the gods and idols of our day. And this has been exposed in a really really real way for us over this past year and a half, hasn't it? We've discovered just how much that we've depended on and even worshiped things outside of our Lord. So what was it for you? Was it your time and being able to choose where and how you spent it? Was it your freedom and your ability to go where you wanted to when you wanted to? Was it your comfort? Was it your social life and social connections? Was it your work productivity? Certainly these things aren't inherently bad. Freedom and social connections, community, a good work ethic, all of these are good gifts that can be used for his glory. However, when we look at wise re-engagement, we need to assess our motives behind what's important to us and what we choose to re-engage in. And we can begin this process by asking ourselves, who or what am I serving when we're faced with those decisions of re-engagement? When we ask this question, we ought also to remember that when we say yes to one thing, that often means saying no to another. Or conversely, when we say no to something, that leaves us the space to say yes to something else. Just as in these verses, we see that saying yes to God means saying no to the idols of the day. And we have a lot of things competing for our attention. And this is especially true in this post-pandemic life. In this time, we're all clamoring for some sense of normalcy. We wanna reclaim some of the things that we've lost over this past year, year and a half. And in doing that, we're particularly susceptible to filling our time and our focus with many good things, but in a dangerously short-sighted way. It seems to me this is exactly what Joshua is warning the Israelites about. So for example, Committing to, let's say, a particular volunteer activity might on the surface look like wise re-engagement. It might look like the right way to spend my time. However, when I stop to ask those two questions, 
who or what am I serving? And by saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? I might find that my motive behind that is maybe I think it makes me look good in the eyes of others, or maybe it's just because it's what I see other people around me doing. I might also find that by saying yes to this particular volunteer activity is that I might also be saying no to time I'm able to spend in important relationships or discipleship opportunities in my life. In this case, by committing to that volunteer activity, I'm going to be serving my need for image management and not God, although on the outside it looks like I'm doing something good or wise. Another really great way to assess this is, as Kirk Thompson, who is a wise Christian psychiatrist, speaker, and author, often says, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Let me repeat that. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. A good practice is taking the time to ask yourself, what am I paying attention to? Or in other words, where do I find my focus? And I might do this by just noticing where my mind drifts when I have a quiet moment, maybe it's in the car, or maybe when I'm trying to fall asleep, or maybe it's reflecting back on the content of my conversations throughout the day. One of my favorite ways to do this is by taking five, maybe 10 minute breaks throughout the day to just disengage from whatever it is that I'm doing and just be present in that moment. I'll often walk around the block. You might see me walking around TPC campus Monday through Friday, um, or I might just close my, mind, my eyes for a moment and just reflect on the past few hours and notice what comes up for me. I'm not judging what comes up, I'm just noticing it. And then once I've noticed it, then I can decide what to do about it. And as I do this, I might start to notice that I'm paying attention to those things that maybe seek to make me feel better about myself. Or maybe I find that I'm paying attention to those things that elevate me in the eyes of others. Maybe I'm paying attention to things that distract me from God and what he has called me to. And once I notice these things, I wanna ask myself, are these things that I'm paying attention to the things that God pays attention to? In this passage, we see God drawing their attention, the Israelites' attention, to his deep love, his faithfulness, his grace, and his mercy in their lives, and then calling them to respond to it. And in order to fully know the answer to the question of what does God pay attention to, we have to actually know what God pays attention to. We do this by deepening our saving relationship with him and our connection with him through corporate worship, through prayer, through a knowledge of his scriptures and community with other believers. This is also a great place to ask ourselves that question again of, am I trading connection with God and with others for convenience or other priorities? That's one way we know that we're attuned to God's deep love for us and that we know what he pays attention to. So our first guiding principle for wise re-engagement in this pivotal moment is that we must prioritize the right worship of God. We'll see the second in verses 15 through 22, 15 and 22 through 24. We'll see that to re-engage wisely, we must commit not only to God, but also to one another. We see in the second part of verse 15 that Joshua not only recommits himself to the service of the Lord, but he also commits his household. Joshua, in this declaration, is making it plain that the covenant with the Lord he's making has an impact on those with whom he has influence specifically his household. 
He's committing to making disciples of his family members. He's taking seriously that accepting the call to follow God and to serve him means that he's also going to seek to lead his household into a covenantal relationship with the Lord. His household is going to be governed by this covenant, and he wants it to be clear to all around him that that's the case. We also see the importance of corporate response and accountability in verses 22 through 24. We see that Joshua calls them to be witnesses to one another's public declaration of who they choose to worship and be accountable to the command to put away the foreign gods among them. So just as we want to turn from idols and focus on following God and God alone, we also want to help others do the same. For many of you, that will mean your own households or family units, like Joshua references in in verse 15. And that can mean making decisions that don't always make sense to this world around us, both for ourselves and for our families in how we choose to re-engage and where we spend our time and energy and resources. This can also mean caring for our covenantal family, like in verses 22 through 24. Consider the various vows that we take as members of Second Presbyterian Church. When we baptize children, parents take vows dedicating their children to the Lord, but so do fellow members. We as members promise to undertake the responsibility to assist those parents in the Christian nurture of that child. When we take membership vows, we promise to serve Christ and his church by supporting and participating with this congregation in its service of God and its ministry to others to the best of our ability. And those who are in elected leadership take vows as a deacon or an elder. They affirm their willingness to take responsibility in the life of this congregation and to seek to discharge those duties, relying on the grace of God in such a way that the entire church of Jesus Christ is blessed. So how well are we fulfilling those vows? How are we keeping those covenants we've entered into? Are we considering those vows that we've taken in our primary covenantal relationships as we start to make decisions and how we're re-engaging? Are we recognizing that our commitments impact those around us? A helpful grid when deciding on how to re-engage in a way that's balanced and honoring to God and to his people is to categorize where we're spending our time. So one of the things that I really have appreciated over this past year and a half is going through this exercise. And what it does is, is it allows us to really focus our, what we're spending our time on and put it into one of four categories. Those four categories are our heads, our hearts, our bodies, and others. I'm going to repeat that. Our heads, our hearts, our bodies, and others or other people. I'll explain more about those categories in just a minute. A friend has used a version of this for several years, some of y'all might have heard about it before, um, to help teach her children how to balance their days in the summer when there's less structure. You can use this as a guide for yourself as an individual or even as a grid for your family. In the early days of the pandemic, we were all trying to figure out our new reality. I found this exercise to be so helpful And I actually think it's even more helpful now as we decide how to re-engage. So the easiest way to do this is to take a piece of paper or a poster board. And then at the top, you're going to want to write your overall goal for re-engagement. So you might write your overall goal for you or your family. Or maybe it's a verse that you and your family have chosen for that year. And writing that at the top is going to allow you to use that as the filter 
that you're going to use when selecting on what you're going to re-engage in for this next part of the exercise. I'll share with you two things that I've regularly used as my filter over these past few months. First is the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is, what is the chief end of man? So what is my primary purpose? What is my chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the second is in the response to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, something that Sandy Wilson has often asked, which is, to what extent is my life my best response to the Great Commission? And so once you've decided on your centering question or goal or verse, write that at the top, and then you're going to write those four words again. You're going to write head, heart, body, and others, creating four columns. And then you're going to look at all the things in which you're engaged. And under the head column, you're going to list anything that you're engaged in that's feeding your mind, feeding you intellectually, like a new skill that you're learning, a book you're reading, a new challenge you're taking on, maybe at work or at school. Under the heart column, you're going to list anything that you're engaged in that's tending to your heart, how you're cultivating your relationship with the Lord through worship and prayer and the reading of his word. Practices that are tending to your emotions, like taking time for restorative relationships. Under the body category, you're going to list the things that are taking care of your physical body, like taking time to take a walk or exercise, being intentional about your sleep and nutrition. And then finally, under the others column, you're going to list ways that you're serving, discipling, and caring for others throughout your day. Considering how you're honoring those covenants that you've entered into with your personal family as well as your church family. And what's particularly helpful about this exercise is that it's intentional and it gives you a clear roadmap. It pushes us to reflect on our daily and weekly activities and put them into one of four categories. And by doing this, we can readily determine at least three things. First, we can see if we're committed and engaged in things that are extraneous or don't really serve a meaningful or missional purpose. If I can't find a category of thing, or something that I'm regularly engaged in, I'm going to ask myself, why is it that I'm engaged in it in the first place? Second, we can see if we're out of balance. All of us are going to naturally lean more heavily in one category or the other. And in different seasons of life, different categories are going to be more weighty. For example, if you're a parent to young children, the other's category is going to be more weighty because a good part of what you're called to in this season of life is the day-to-day care of others, specifically your family. If you're in school or new to your career, you might lean more heavily in the head category as you're acquiring maybe new academic or professional skills. It's not necessary to be perfectly equal in all of those categories, but rather that you're overall balanced. And you can determine this level of balance best when looking at a week or even a month at a time because your day-to-day schedule is going to fluctuate based on what you're able to do in each category. Third, we can quickly see that saying yes to things in one column can mean saying no to things in others. We realize that we're finite in what we can accomplish in a day. And so to do things well, we have to be intentional about what we say yes to. You can see this really well if after creating your list, you look at each category as a percentage. So let's say I've come up with 20 or so items, 20 items. So I might find three things or 15% in the others category, two or 10% in body, 
5 or 25% in heart and 10 or 50% in head. So by doing this, you can quickly see that you're out of balance. And the solution here to even things out is not simply to add things to the columns that have lower percentages. Although that might balance it out on the sheet, it's not going to help us balance it in things in our day-to-day lives because we're just piling on tasks and commitments and ultimately diluting our efforts. Instead, we want to look at all of the columns and decide where are our priorities, those things that best align with our overall re-engagement or missional goal, and then we can decide what we need to let go of in the overtaxed columns or what we need to say no to in order to make room to say yes to things that will fit in those columns where we need to increase our engagement. So just as it's clear that we must intentionally commit to God and to others when re-engaging wisely, we also see in verses 16 through 21, our third guiding principle, that to re-engage wisely, we must remember the truth of his saving work. The people's response in verse 18 is given after they recount a summary of what God has graciously done for them. We see in verses 16 and 17 the basis for their decision. Rather than looking at their momentary circumstance, how they feel, or what makes sense to them in the moment, they instead take a step back and wisely recount the amazing ways that the Lord has provided for them. They declare his faithfulness out loud in public and declare the ways that the Lord has guided them every step of the way. And it's important to see that they're using God's own words as the basis for their decision and rooting them in what's true. If we look up in verse 2, we see that the account Joshua is giving them in verses 3 through 13 are God's direct words to them in that particular moment. First, in verses 3 through 7, God reminds them of how he delivered their fathers from Egypt. And then we see that they repeat that truth back to Joshua in verse 17. Second, in verses 8 through 13, God reminds them of how he defeated their many enemies and to prepare a way for them. That's the second truth that they repeat back in verse 18. While we don't have a word-for-word outline from God of how God has carried us specifically through these past months, just like the Israelites did, we do have the many eternal promises in his word and the Holy Spirit to help us interpret and apply his word, and our fellow brothers and sisters to help remind us of what's true. So as we look back as to what's gotten us through the difficulties of the past year and a half, where or to whom are we giving the credit? Do we focus on our own strength and our own determination, our own grit and our own resilience? Are we focused on others, including our social connections and our political leaders as the hope for moving through and getting to the other side? Now, certainly these last months have absolutely required a great deal of strength and determination to get through. And a high level of resilience is helpful in any difficult time. And we need wise leadership and connections with others to navigate uncertainty. However, If we're focused on these things as our hope, we are deceiving ourselves. And in that deception, we're in danger of responding in gratitude and even allegiance to the wrong things. If we're responding to our own strength or the strength of other people, we are more likely to make decisions that worship and elevate others and ourselves. And Joshua warns against this in verses 19 and 20. He warns us that there's no way for us to serve the Lord on our own strength. We're wholly and utterly dependent on him for his grace and his mercy. 
one of the verses that I've been reflecting on this past year is Psalm 117.2. It says, for great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. It has challenged me to be rooted in the truth of his steadfast love and his faithfulness that doesn't change despite my feelings or my circumstances. It is forever. It's past, it's present, and it's future. One way to be purposeful about focusing on his faithfulness is keeping a daily list or journal of the ways that the Lord has provided for you. This is different than a gratitude type journal because gratitude is a feeling and provision is a fact. When we're in the midst of difficulty, it can often be hard to feel grateful. So creating a list of what you feel grateful for can be a real challenge. However, we know from scripture that God never stops providing for us. That's a fact. He is faithful no matter my feelings or my circumstances. This practice was really helpful for many during the early days of the pandemic. When we're in the midst of a difficult time or a crisis, our brains are gonna be hyper aware and focused on anything that might feel or be dangerous. And it's this prolonged hyper-awareness that has so many more people depressed and anxious coming out of the pandemic. And it can be helpful for us to shift our focus and be intentional about shifting our focus away from whatever it is that's causing our distress, which although very painful is often temporary, and instead on the ways in which the Lord has provided for us, which is constant. So remember when we said that it's important to pay attention to what you're paying attention to? This is a great way to create space to pay attention to God's provision and his strength and not be tempted to pay attention to the lies the world tells us about how we must depend on ourselves and ourselves alone to get through trials. This list can also serve as a reminder for us, just as verses 3 through 13 served as a reminder for the Israelites of the saving work of God on our behalf. And so when we find ourselves at a crossroads, wondering how we got here and what it's going to look like on the other side, we can reference our provision list and remember that we can trust and depend on him and his provision. All right, so far we've observed three guiding principles of wise reengagement. We've seen that we must prioritize the right worship of God. We've seen that we must commit not only to God, but also to one another. We've seen that we must remember the truth of his saving work. And now fourth and finally, we see that to re-engage wisely, we must continue to rely on his provision and strength and not our own. And we see this in verses 25 through 28. Once the people have declared that they pledge to serve the one and only true God, Joshua does two things. First, he gives them rules and statutes in verse 25. And then second, he establishes a permanent reminder in the form of a stone in verses 26 and 27. So as we've already said, God knows that we're a people prone to wonder, a people prone to get distracted of the things of this world, and a people who need a guidance and a structure in which to operate. Isn't that one of the things that was so hard about this past year and a half? Our earthly structures and frameworks seemed to crumble. We didn't know how to respond. We were in brand new territory, and we didn't know who or what to listen to. And even when we thought we did, we couldn't trust that it wouldn't change week to week. In verse 25, God anticipates this need and guides Joshua to put in place rules and statutes for how to respond in light of this new covenant. And he does that for us today. 
He's given us his word full of his promises, his guidance, and his commands on which we can establish the structure of our lives. And he's given us the body of Christ so that we can encourage and guide one another. So as we look to wisely re-engage, we need to ask ourselves if we're looking at God's structure and his guidance and how we're living our lives, or if we're looking to social structures or the so-called wisdom of our world. In verses 26 and 27, we see that God again anticipates our need to, our tendency to forget. And so he has Joshua set up a permanent reminder in the form of a stone. Notice the location of the stone. He puts it by the sanctuary. That means every time the people come to offer sacrifices and worship the Lord, they're reminded of his faithfulness and of God and his covenant. So as we look for ways to wisely re-engage, it's important that we set up similar points of accountability for ourselves. So just as Joshua set up that physical reminder for the people to remember, we should be intentional about stepping back periodically and taking an assessment of our commitments and our motives for engaging in those commitments. It's wise to do this on a set, regular basis. Maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly. And it can be helpful to do this with another person or even a group. In families, it might be helpful to do this together so you can use this as a discipleship opportunity for your children. And you can do this by using any of the strategies that we've talked about this morning. Just as we talked about how it's important to pay attention to what you're paying attention to, you can also ask a friend to check in with you on this. Asking, what have you noticed that you've been paying attention to this week? would be a great opening question to incorporate into a small group or even a prayer group. It promotes a much deeper connection than simply just asking, how was your week? You can also create accountability by sitting down with a friend or a family member to review over your head, heart, body, and others grid. A good way to start this would be to ask them to help you review it, to make sure you're keeping the most important things as priorities in how you're spending your time and that you're staying true to your overall goal. Inviting them to encourage you in areas in which you're struggling or maybe that you're out of balance. And they may also be able to look at your grid with fresh eyes, allowing them to see opportunities or even challenges that you may not see. Sharing your provision list is also a really meaningful way to remind ourselves and others of God's saving provision for us. A sweet friend recently gave me this really precious memory book. I've got it here. Y'all probably can't see it. It's, um, it's little, um, but it's called One Line a Day. Each page has a date at the top, and then there's a line next to each year for five years. And so the idea is that you jot down one memory, or in this case, one way the Lord has provided for you on the line for that date. And by the time you've done this for a year, you're going to start all over at the beginning and then just use the next line on each page. And the reason I love this is that once you're into your second year, you're just writing a new provision on those same pages as the first, which prompts you to read back on how the Lord has provided you on that day in the year prior. And finally, just as Joshua 24 teaches us to re-engage wisely by prioritizing the right worship of God, committing not only to God, but also to one another, remembering the truth of his saving work, and continuing to rely on his provision and strength and not, not our own, all of scripture teaches us that the Lord is the source of all wisdom, not ourselves. So employing these strategies and asking these questions and relying on our own strength to discern their answers it's never going to be sufficient. 
So we must ask these questions. We must do these practices with prayerful consideration, relying on his wisdom and his strength. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for the many ways that you have cared for us and provided for us, particularly over this past year and a half. Help us to remember your saving work as we seek to re-engage wisely. And above all, we thank you for Jesus, who is our ultimate guide and strength. We love you. Amen. Amen.